like this podcast, check out Studio Red's amazing lineup of podcasts at studioredmedia.com. Welcome to QT with RT. I'm Ryan. I'm Todd. Today we're talking about 1917. All right, first off, I want to say one of my favorite things from South Park when they had the oil spills happen and they yeah. had BP, they go, we're sorry. Yeah. We're sorry. We're sorry. I'm saying that in regards to my brother Kyle, because last week we right, said- Right, right. I was like, where are you going with this? <laughs> I was so confused. We said, I said that he did not listen to the podcast and he not only texted us, said that we're the first play, which is- Not today though. Not today. Well, it will it will be it will come up. Don't worry. We'll get it out in time. It's still early. Um but I wanna say I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, we're not only his first play, but then he created a fan page yes, Facebook. on Facebook. Yeah. So go look up QT with RT and give us a like. We'd love to see who from Israel or Nairobi or whoever you wherever you guys are at. We want to hear from you. And there's even a place to ask some questions, mm-hmm. which Kyle asked one, right? He, no, I think he, he left like he's like, he was the one to ask the question. Oh. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Like he he kind of was like, does anyone have any questions? Oh, kind he of, asked the question yeah. of the question. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The question is the question. Yeah, exactly. He opened the mailbag. Did you ever watch or read or listen to any of the comics about the question from Warner from uh, DC Comics? The no. Question? Yeah, he's like this like private eye investigator guy called The Question, and he wears a mask that has a question mark on it. Um, it's very good. So is it is not Rorschach from Watchmen? No, no. Is no. someone different? No, no. Interesting. Uh, and um, and his whole thing is always like, what's the question? He's always asking the, you know. And then at the very end of one of them, he says, the question is the question. Wow, I'm surprised we haven't had that. Where's the Snyder Cut? <laughs> Where's the Snyder Cut? It's really cut? great. That there's uh, an audiobook series of the comic Infinite Crisis, and, and he's in that. Oh, really? really Interesting. Good. I love that. That uh, I'm a big DC animated fan, and so the Infinite Crisis anime, he's not in that animated no, movie, but that's a great, great So yeah, in movie. the audiobook, he, he's more in it in... Um, very good interesting that's a check out well we're not talking about that today no but audiobooks comic audiobooks by um it's uh so just dc comics um yeah but there's a oh man i would scrap has bought all of them and i've borrowed them from him and i've listened to him on road trips and they're just i've sat in my car for like 45 minutes after i've gotten to the hotel listening to the rest of the you know just because i'm too, so into it now do, do they read them out or are they acted out they're acted out okay. so it's um the i think it's called graphic novels is that right i'm gonna have to look it up have I'll you remind listened everybody later but anyways but it, it goes uh graphic novels presents a movie in your mind <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and they have like sound effects and yeah. everything. So it's basically like a full movie. Well, I mean, soundtrack. that's old time radio shows were like that. Yeah, and I mean, they're really good. That, those are the comeback. You guys need to check it out. Did I'm you listen? You they're great. Infinite Crisis and then 51 or 52. Because um, basically, Infinite, it might actually, the question might actually be in 52 now that I think about it. But in Infinite Crisis, it's like when like all the planets get destroyed, basically. Mm-hmm. And all the 
superheroes from like all the different planets have to work together, but then like a bunch of the planets get destroyed. Yeah. And then only a certain amount of them are left. And that's what's then in the like sequel to it. But then because of that, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, the flash, all of them like kind of go into hiding because they're like, so weakened from the battle. Oh, wow. And so then these other heroes have to like step up the B team, the B team basically. (laughs) Yeah. And they have to like then solve this new crisis that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. I always love like how they've made, like uh, Green Arrow, we made, they made Green Arrow the the show because essentially they didn't have the rights to Batman, and so like Green Arrow's become like an A type character. Even though let's be honest, he's always a B, maybe C character. Yeah, but you know they it's just like all these characters they're just trying to bring out new yeah. guys, and it's like nah, that's not gonna work. But um, what what like the the uh, universe isn't it like universe like. 52 or something is is the one that has like batman it's the one that we all know well all of them uh most of them have like a version of superman or batman right. or whatever but uh, like the uh, one that we like watch is what you're saying yeah uh that's why like if, yeah, if you I, see like they have a jack the ripper batman series right, right, you know right. those are different alternate right, right. universes yeah. yeah yeah um i don't know but yeah. it would make sense if it was 52 because that's then what the one's called. Yeah. The sequel. I, I just remember seeing like yeah, 52 probably in my mind. So, and then, um, yeah, it's really good. Infinite Crisis is, is a really, really good one. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, that's probably my favorite. And then number two would be the one. Um, what's the one when the whole Justice League goes bad? Batman has to fight all of them. Oh, uh, I don't know. I can't remember that, but that one's really good yeah. too. That's probably my second favorite. Those two, because Batman essentially knows how to take out the whole Justice League, and yeah. that's the whole thing at the end. The Superman's like, "Wait, you had like a plan to take me out?" Oh yeah. And he's yeah, like, yeah. "What's your contingency for yourself?" And he's like, "The Justice League." <laughs> it's like, oh, but it doesn't really make sense because he took out the Justice League. So I don't know. Well, but, maybe he's assuming though that if they all ganged up on him at once, they yeah, would, sure, he took them. And then that's when Superman at the end. Spoiler alert gives him kryptonite and he's like i want you to have this just in case and and batman's like right even though he had like a ton of kryptonite <laughs> he's already like yeah sure thanks Superman. <laughs> it's like oh yeah i've never thought of this before <laughs> as a whole kryptonite suit yeah uh, um anyways uh, my favorite part about that animated series that animated series is great yeah. people need to go back and watch that i'm i don't have no idea where you would find it it used to be on Netflix. Well, DC, they have their streaming service now. Oh, do they? Yeah. So that's probably then where it's at. Yeah. But it, um, the my still the favorite moment of any Superman thing is when they're fighting at the very end against um, Apocalypse. Is that right? Or Doomsday. Yeah, Doomsday. Yeah, because Apocalypse is uh, Marvel. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's a... Uh, I don't think... Yeah, Apocalypse is X-Men. Oh, okay. Yeah. So anyways, he's fighting against Doomsday and he Doomsday shows up and he's talking about like Doomsday's like nobody can beat me. And um uh, and all the other superheroes are getting their butts kicked and Superman's like um uh, he like gives this like beautiful monologue about how he's like every day I wake up like 
having to hold back my strength constantly. Yes. Always yes. worried that I'm going to like break people like a twig, <laughs> you know, or that I'm going to go too far and like kill them. Yeah. And, you know, he's like, you know what it's like to, to like constantly have to hold yourself back 24, <laughs> you know, like all day long, every single day for your entire life. And then he's like, but finally I've met someone that I can completely let go on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then he's like, and I'm almost like I'm looking forward to yeah. it. Yeah. You know, and I was like, you have no idea how much I like don't show my full strength. Yeah. You have no idea who you just picked a fight with and yeah. then Superman kicks his tail <laughs> and it's amazing. Yeah, now that, yeah, I think that was Doomsday because Darkseed is the, Darkseed is like the infinite god essentially. Um, he's he's uh, the Thanos, uh, yeah. but he's more powerful than Thanos. Yeah. Like they even like did, they do, used to do a lot of crossovers between Marvel and DC and Thanos and Darkseed did fight each other once and like Darkseed like is... But god. did he have the Infinity Gauntlet? Even if even if Thanos had the Infinity Gauntlet, uh, Darkseid would still be able to beat him. Oh. Because like Darkseid, his full the only people who's ever survived his like full blast of his lasers has been Superman Doomsday. Oh, it, it 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 eviscerates people, and then Darkseid actually can never die. He actually goes back to his plane of existence and can come back. Gotcha. Even stronger. And so that's essentially it's like Goku. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I I watched this the there's yeah this, I did too. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about the YouTube video where they show like who would win. Yeah, right? Superman versus Goku. Yeah, and uh, they're like Goku would win except for the fact that he would give Superman a chance to. Yeah, yeah, he's too too friendly. Yeah, yeah like he he enjoys like the rivalry or uh, like something yeah, yeah. like that. But Superman would just like kill him because he would see him as a threat. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, no. I was saying I watched this. Uh, there's this review show where they it's he'll last. Hil- like hilariosity okay and so they go over like bad reviews uh and or they review a bad movie and he went over the dragon ball z live action movie man that movie is horrendous like i watched it yeah it was bad and i just thought of you the whole time because ryan was president of the dragon ball z club uh <laughs> well no 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 <laughs> of his own <laughs> yeah maybe just myself no no i wasn't president of the dragon ball z club i had a website <laughs> In middle school, <laughs> dedicated to Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. Well, I in mean, my defense, so did my friend Jason and Galson, and mm-hmm. so did Carissa, yeah. my little sister. Yeah. Do you remember anything about the live action Dragon Ball Z? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was horrible. Yeah. I watched it. I mean, it came out when I was like after college. A, he was a white guy. That, I mean, well, that, Goku technically is white in the cartoons, even though he's obviously Asian. Right. But. I mean, the whole movie is just yeah. insane. Like yeah. I was just watching because he, they used the uh, the Hama Kamehameha Kamehameha to bring himself back to life. His teacher bring uses it to bring him back to life because he dies, but it's only an attack. Yeah, no, it's a bad movie. <laughs> it's like the last Airbender kind of. You know, it's like all yeah. those like live actions. You're like, nah. yeah. Well, and I I found out. Did you know that Kevin Feige, uh, the producer of every marvel movie we know he was an assistant um he was like kind of like a pa essentially or like a little assistant on uh the incredible hulk and then they found out that he was essentially just like a walking encyclopedia of all marvel mo- or yeah. all like marvel comics and everything and so they made him an executive uh associate producer on that movie and because he was able to fact check and do all the things that's what people need 
when they make a movie that has a rabid fan base. It's just have someone who's a walking encyclopedia. That is crazy that that is, think about that. He's just like a PA on set and he's like, this is so cool. I'm on a Hulk movie. I'm in heaven. This is amazing. And then they're like, dude, you know a lot about this comic. Yeah. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm like a huge fan. And they're like, really? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they start like asking him questions and then they're like, you know what? Instead of being a PA, why don't you be a producer? Like he just jumped. From a PA, yeah, like the entry level crap yeah. job yeah. where you like direct traffic and clean toilets, yeah. Like your job is to like refill the toilet paper in the outhouse, yeah. To being a producer on the movie, and then went on. I to mean, be in a, a in the, the span biggest, of what, like the, ten years, and one of the biggest producers in the yeah. world right now, yeah, yeah. Like in the span, of, I mean, so I it goes to show if your kids passionate about something. Let them learn everything about it. Like I got my nephews know everything about Star Wars. They could be executive producers on Star Wars movies one day. Maybe you know? they just gotta go be PAs. Like, and that's a good sign, a good reminder that like you just gotta get yourself in the right area. Yeah, it doesn't like you never know what an opportunity might come. I guess you gotta be vocal. Like, how would they have you know? Like maybe they were like reading the script and they're like, "What's camera right?" And then you know he was like, "Well, actually, is it?" You know? Yeah, I don't know. And so it's like, "Well, the Hulk did this." And- I mean, he obviously didn't have enough input because the Incredible Hulk, or not the Incredible, not the Edward Norton one, the like yeah, first one, one that. Eric Bana. Oof, that movie's bad. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, he being a fact checker and being the director and head producer, yeah. two different things. Yeah. But nonetheless, that's cool. Uh. So speaking of movies, <laughs> great movies. 1917. So last week we told you guys, you need to watch some more TV and movies, get some screen time. Mm -hmm. So now we're bringing you some recommendations. Uh, We're going to talk about 1917, maybe uh, Ford versus Ferrari. If Mm -hmm. not, we'll save that for next week, uh, depending on the time. Uh, But um, you just watched it recently. I watched it in theaters uh, uh, before the Oscars. Um, It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, did best, it get any best actors? It did, didn't it? Best cinematography. Yeah, best cinematography. I don't think uh, it had best actors, but it had uh, best like editing, best sound mixing. I mean, it had like eleven nominations. It was or like a that, ton. So or pretty eight. much all the like technical side, it had everything yeah. you could imagine, and wardrobe obviously, and and all that. So, um, but uh, Sam Mendes's uh, masterpiece. His magnum opus, I would say, so far. Um, he is the director of such hits as Skyfall, James Bond's Skyfall. Um, he also did Revolutionary Road. Um, and he has done many movies, but not to this level of, I think, production. I mean, I guess Skyfall is a pretty big production. I mean, James Bond movies were huge and they had big budget. Yeah, and, and Skyfall is yeah, I mean, it's the highest huge. grossing uh, British movie of all time. And it definitely was also like, um, as far as like production level and budget probably was really high. Yeah. I feel like it, it's definitely like one of the like bigger. Bond the most movies. expensive Home Alone movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> like there at the end, it just turned into a uh, Home Alone movie. So uh, this is what it was nominated for. Uh, achievement in sound editing, music, written for motion picture, original score, uh, production design. Makeup and hairstyling, screenplay, um, which Sam Mendes uh, was a co-writer on, which is interesting. Hmm. Uh, directing, um, best picture, sound mixing, visual effects, and cinematography. 
So I had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten Oscar nominations. And it won for three of them. Cinematography, Roger Deakins, our boy Roger yeah. Deakins, uh, Best Achievement in Visual Effects, and Best Sound Mixing. Yeah. Um, and Sam Mendes apparently was inspired by stories from his grandpa. Interesting. Um, and so that's where at the end, you know, talks about his grandpa. And so it's a fictional story, but with loosely based off of uh, stories they heard from uh, grandpa growing up. And so uh, based in World War One, um, it, yep. it, it British it, side of the war. Yes. And it's supposed to take place. uh like all in one day kind of type thing. A single shot is the style of it. Yeah, um, like twenty four. Boom, boom. Yeah, someone <laughs> <laughs> should make that little dude. <laughs> you have to get boom, to the front. And then it's just Jack Bauer, like damn it, yeah. Chloe. Uh, <laughs> just the whole time. Um, uh, so, anyways, but uh, the movie. I'm going to be honest, I wasn't really interested in seeing it. There's something about World War One that's not as romantic as World War Two. You know, like when you have World War not you as know. many love letters, yeah, songs. Well, no, I mean, There's it's just like, it's done. There's not a shot of a sailor it's, kissing the, the girl cool in New York The cool thing is World War Two. Yeah, World War Two's where it's at. World of War all the world wars, tank. obviously I, the sequel. What's what's the last World War movie, World War One movie you, you saw? 1970. Besides 1970, <laughs> before 1970, <laughs> uh, it would have been uh, Dunkirk. Oh, okay, that's no, that's World War II. Dunkirk, oh, you're right. World it War is World so World War One. Uh, I don't even know then. Oh, come on, man, you know what it is. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah. So it, it it had not had a good taste in our mouth. World War One, you know. <laughs> I would say 1917 not only made World War One better than World War Two, <laughs> as far as sexy wars, <laughs> World War One is where the sex that? appeal of World War One definitely skyrocketed after this. Movie. Um, um, so I actually read a book about World War One because I thought that World War Two uh, was very has been very overplayed in our culture. Yeah, because of it being like our grandparents, our parents. I mean, Kim Burns, come on, dude, yeah, get over Spielberg. it. I mean, he's, yeah. he's also done a lot. Of, I mean, with Band of Brothers and um, and obviously Saving Private Ryan, the Pacific. Then, yeah, Pacific, and then um, you know any movies that have to do with the Holocaust. Yeah, even like The Bridge Over the River Kwai and Pearl Harbor. Yeah, you know, there's just like so many like movies and TV shows and The everything. Raid. Yeah, there's a some, Raid. That was a little one movie. Um, so I just felt like there was just like, oh, so much, I mean, you know, so like what was left, you know, to tell in those stories. Yeah. So I bought this big fat book, uh, that I never made it all the way through, but I was reading <laughs> through it to try to understand world war one better. Cause I was like, oh, I bet there's some really good like stories to be yeah. told in world war one. So I think I was more interested in the movie because of that book. Yeah. And because I was like, oh, I feel like there's a lot to be told here that people really don't know about world war one. Yeah. Um, and, and I felt like it this kind of lived up to like a lot of what I read and, you know, and I feel like books probably did it like, you know, like all's quiet on the Western front. Right. And that, um, uh, and that's a book, right? I don't know. I, yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. I, I think I'm getting the title, right? I know that's at least a phrase in the book or it's the title of the book for, for what? For oh. world war one. Oh, okay. Uh, but there's a bunch of books that came out of world war one where you guys would come back from being in the trenches for all these years. And then they would end up then going and reading yeah. books about it. Yeah. They call it the, uh, they call them the lost generation um, for World War One. Well, we found them because it was the first war ever that like men would come back and have psychological problems. 
Um, because before then they would have like battles and people would have like picnics and watch it. Um, I mean, and that's why the like civil war was so like horrible because, you know, we lost so many men, uh, Americans. I mean, we lost more Americans during the civil war than any war we've ever had. Which helps when you're fighting each other. Exactly. (laughs) You can tally up both sides. Um, but, uh, so world war one was like, they went into it completely, naive you know these little men almost thinking like i mean they had horse you know like it's just this idea of like we're going to defend our country and kind well, of and i think too that world war one and that's what kind of set up world war two um but world war one also created um it, it was the evolution of warfare to some degree yes too, where yes. it's like all of a sudden you had like the trench warfare yes. and like gas gases warfare. yeah and even airplanes were in it machine know, guns machine guns yeah tanks I mean, all this stuff was like very rudimentary at yeah. that time. It's like there were horses at the beginning of World War One, but by the end of World War One, they really weren't using horses as much anymore because yeah. they had machinery and tanks and stuff like that. You know, so it it became a different kind of war. Yeah. Um, you know, even even the idea of like, all right, we're gonna meet on a battlefield and fight it out. It was like we're gonna sit down in these trenches and take pop shots at each other and every once in a while we're gonna run over across the trench and these other guys are just gonna mow us down and they're hiding behind their trench and you know and so it it transformed what war was yeah and i think that version of war not all war is bad obviously but that version of war had its own kind of mental yeah stress on it well and and it it turned into hell like that's what it looked like i mean if you hear a plane fly over you and you're worried about getting bombed like that's something that you never had to worry about before planes existed yeah yeah i mean i people like to talk about like it's you know the end of the world it's the end times or whatever but like think about world war one and talk about like pandemic you know spanish flu happened there that's killed way more than you know anything we've ever experienced um then you have world war one the trenches and so when you're watching 1917 you really get the feeling of like wow this must have really felt like the end of the world you know when they when they go across no man's land and just like the mud and the barbed wire and the dead bodies and the rats and the you know like it's yep. just the hopelessness which of- is also the only good part of war horse it's true. Yeah, the scene where uh, no, no a German and, and a, uh, a Mar- British a British officer yeah. uh, they meet because the horse is entangled uh, in barbed wire. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's a good good little scene. That's I the like only that scene. Good part of the movie. And then the one with uh, the the cavalry. So that yeah. had um, Tom Hiddleston and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, charging in. Yeah, and and the best line I've ever heard because that's Tom Hiddleston said, "What should my reaction be?" And uh, Spielberg said, imagine you're a little boy who is, you know, imagine he's a, a, a soldier and then all of a sudden is realizing the full extent that he's going to die. And that was his facial expression. Yeah. And you see that kind of like, and then just turns into terror yeah. and then he's gone. You know, I was like, that's such a great like feeling and emotion of all of World War One was a little boy. You think after Spielberg, after he did that, Spielberg went, well, why don't you look at you? <laughs> and then the music <laughs> transcends. Uh, yeah. And then there's just this very obviously green screen shot of Spielberg with a beautiful sunset behind him. <laughs> just just a 80, 80 just artificial light just blasting all over him. <laughs> yeah. um, now, I was, I was wrong when I said the last movie we saw with Warhorse. 
Wonder Woman was a World War One movie. That was oh, probably that's the last true. one. Wow. And so when they were crossing No Man's Land, I was like, "Where's Wonder Woman? <laughs> she is not here in the." I don't know if I, would, I mean that is a World War One movie, but I don't know if I would put that. I mean, it takes place in World War One. Yeah, it's true. So it's, it's a little pretty, on the fictional. Side. Yeah, it's a little on. The, yeah. Uh, okay, so you were not that excited about seeing this movie. Yes. So but you did go see it. It had Are a lot of buzz and yep. all that stuff. So watch it, um, and. Everyone really sold it on the mechanical side, like the technical side of things. Like, look at how we did all these one shots. Um, how many months did they rehearse before they shot? Didn't they do like... I think it was like three months or something like that. Yeah, it was an insane amount of time that they just like rehearsed the whole thing. Yeah. Which when you watch the movie, you're like, that makes sense because this movie is insane from beginning to end. And so no one really talked about the story. They talked about the technical side over and over and yep, over. Yeah, because for people who haven't watched it or aren't up to speed on yeah. stuff, it is um, uh, consecutively edited together one single shot takes. Yeah. To where they don't they don't have multiple cameras. They're not editing back and forth. They're not cutting. It's like single, single yeah. takes. I don't know how many actual takes they used in the final version. Yeah. But I would feel like it would be like probably like under 20. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, if there's a couple, obviously, whenever they went into a dark bunker, that was yeah. pretty obvious. Or um, when they would come out from the bunker, like that whole bunker scene where um, he's getting, they're getting their orders from going into coming out. That was, you know, cut. But um, for the most part, a lot of the outside when they're walking, it's all just giant single takes. It's absolutely phenomenal. But anyway, they talk about the technical side. Yes, the technical side is masters of cinematography, masters of filmmaking. Um, but the storytelling was what really got me from beginning to end, from the first frame to the last frame, um, from the hero's journey, essentially, which our main character, um, he is closest to the camera. So the camera starts out and it, it's, it's panning backwards uh, from this field. And our main character is asleep, wakes up. And just from the positioning of having him and his, uh, I don't even remember the two characters' names. I feel horrible about that. You're calling uh, Orion is what you're doing. Yeah, I know. Uh, they were uh, Lance Corporal Blake and Lance Corporal, Corporal Schofield. Schofield. Blake and Schofield. And Blake is the guy who is with us throughout the whole... No, Schofield is. Schofield. So, um, we are going to start treading into probably spoiler territory, but really even... I mean, you could go back and watch it with all the spoilers and it's still a master of, like, movie making. It's just a masterful movie. Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh... We could talk about. We could probably say like what their mission is. Yeah. And and then um, and whether and whether or not they make it or not in time. Yeah. And who you know like how they make it or who makes it. You know, I think we could always maybe keep it a little. What I don't know. How much do we want to spoil it? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a few key details that might be worth leaving out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously you can watch it and see from the technical side of things where they go from a handheld shot or a, 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 a glide cam type thing yeah. to a rig to a, you know, yeah. like uh, a crane shot. Absolutely masterful. But the story of Schofield, 
um, of our main character going from we see he's kind of jaded. He's a lost kind of soul, doesn't really have a purpose, yeah. uh, kind of gets dragged into the mission, um, doesn't really want to be a part of it. And so we see him, um, I will say this, from the beginning of the movie, he is full out soldier gear. And by the end of it, he is stripped of all his helmet, his backpack, his gun, everything. And so we see that hero's journey of being like, I'm essentially a ghost to almost a hopeful ending of, of that civilization of, of going back to being a citizen again um, is really, really wonderfully done in a movie that it's a lot of people would really focus on the technical side of things. And I think that's where Sam Mendes just nailed it because at the end of the day, it still needs to be a movie. Like as much as I love Dunkirk, Dunkirk is an experiment experience you know like you go to watch it not necessarily for a story but for the experience um and 1917 massively did story and experience unlike anything i've ever seen because the single take shot is becoming more and more popular uh daredevil did a you know at least one giant single right. take shot and it was always an experience. It yep. was never the really did it a bunch. Bird yeah, Man obviously did it. Yeah, so it was never really like anything to add to the story. Yeah. This was the first time 1917 was the first time I think I've ever seen a complete experience with story, thus making it like on this other echelon of cinema, really. Yeah. You yeah. know, and and it's hard to. Ex- what would you say makes like a movie a movie? You know, like when I say movie, I'm thinking like you watch Lawrence of Arabia and the way it's filmed and, you know, or Godfather, you know, yeah. there, there are certain movies that are like really good, fun, little Would flicks. you say cinema? <laughs> I would say cinema. <laughs> uh, 1917, I would say, Martin Scorsese would say, this is cinema. Uh, the Irishman is not cinema. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, there is, there is, uh, we, we talked about A Star is Born. There is this, what, what is that? thing that makes it right well there's kind of like an epicness to it yeah um for sure uh in this like transporting quality yeah you know almost like you know when you think about like a great book versus just like a book Mm -hmm. you know i I think there's there is something that when you rise above everything else that's kind of like the norm you almost kind of reach this new level yeah that is like Almost like the you know the all star level like you know what makes what makes a, a Michael Jordan or a Kobe Bryant or you know like what makes those guys like those kind of basketball yeah. players and I feel like that's when we talk about like a movie you're yeah. talking about like rising above kind of like what sort of everybody else does yeah so yeah it's like it's, a whole new level yeah it's the difference between like a a fun little song and like a full orchestral like symphony you know yeah uh i mean it's kind of like the difference between like a masterpiece and just art yeah yeah like 1917 and i mean <laughs> a lot of people can get mad at me but like uh uh sleepless in seattle you know like sleepless in seattle is it's a fun movie it's not masterpiece you know right and you love I love, yeah, I love Sleepers in Seattle. I think it's great, but there is a, there's a difference. Sleepers in Seattle, you could watch on a VHS and be okay with it. 1917, you could put it up on the big screen 
you put it up on a projector, you could put it back in cinemas, and you're going to have that magic feeling, yeah. unlike anything you've ever had. Yeah. Um, it really is one of those rare movies that, like, I would say, don't watch on your phone. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, as, as snobby as that sounds, I know people love to say that, and, like, you know, directors love to say that. There is this just almost like it deserves that. Yeah. respect you know don't don't disrespect it by watching it on your phone well <laughs> you're not gonna have those good of an experience on yeah too. now yeah. are you bummed in that you didn't see in theaters not really like uh i mean we have i have a nice tv and good sound yeah, system but, but and, not like yeah 15 yeah i mean there was a moment that i'm like i we should watch it in the in the projector you know with, yeah. with the good sound and that definitely would be i mean yeah i mean there definitely is a side of me that like I will forever hold Interstellar in high regard because we watched it, you know, I yeah. watched it together on a big screen, yeah. good sound, you know, and some would say that's an experience from a movie as right. well, uh, which Christopher Nolan tends to make put, kind of those movies. Yeah, more spectacle than substance. Yeah, especially more recently. Yeah. And I know he's, he's trying, like Dunkirk, he was definitely trying to make it more substance, but it was an experience. Yeah. So, um, and I'm repeating myself, but, uh, but I mean, like Inception, when you watch that movie on the big screen, like, yeah, that was a movie, you yeah. know? Um, so 1917 from beginning to end, it also does a thing that I think movies have a hard time with pacing, um, when it comes to a single take shot, yeah. it's keeping it interesting. Yeah. They usually drag. Oh, really drag. Well, and a lot, I mean, and the reason for that obviously is that, you know, an editor really kind of becomes your like chief pacing officer. Yeah. And they edit back and forth and cut to different shots and they trim things and make things shorter or longer and basically retweak the entire pacing of the movie, uh, which you can't do if you have a single take. That's all up to the actors yeah. and the director to get it right yeah. in the production. Yeah. Which again, it's like, I think the technical side, I know you're, you, liked the story side, which I did too. I still am like blown away by the fact that like they were able to pull off a good story yeah. with the technical limitations that they had. Yeah. You know, there's like, there's so much tools in the box of filmmaking that they threw out yeah. and made it to where they couldn't use them at all. They can't fall back on those things. Yeah. And, um, even from a storytelling perspective, like not even just like filmmaking, like not just like technical things like editing out, pacing bad pacing and making the pacing better but just even like you can't just cut to a wide shot at any moment yeah to show off the epicness of the of the journey yeah you have to actually move the camera to a wide shot and then move it back into a close-up yeah. and somehow they still were able to show off and tell that good story yeah. despite the fact that they couldn't do that and It'd that be, blows my mind yeah it would be interesting to see how much sam mendes did because that's one ro role of a director not all directors i'm sure do this but many do it's blocking um it's 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 knowing where the characters I are mean, going to be in the scene yeah. and i know sam mendes from some behind scenes like he had the whole movie made into miniatures so he was able to essentially block it out that way and so um the scene from when uh our character wakes up and it goes out the second floor window yeah and it's nighttime he's yeah. in this like blown up neighbor or like town basically. yeah yeah and that scene i'm pretty sure was like a set that they transitioned into or uh was a miniature that transitioned into the set 
Um, I don't know how they did. They must have used some visual effects or something. But uh, they I definitely don't think they did because that was a cut. Well, yeah, yeah, it was. But the um, so pulling out the window that was a real because I watched. Did you watch the behind the scenes? Like I, I, I didn't you? watch it. No. Uh, so um, so it's like the the this isn't going to spoil anything because no. in the first five minutes you find out the the two there's two friends and they go on this this quest. It's in the trailer even. Yeah. Uh, to they are given a mission to go across enemy lines, mm-hmm. go through behind enemy lines, and then back around because um, one of the generals with his whole huge platoon of guys, like thousands of men, have pushed forward and are about ready to advance the next morning on the on the Germans. Um, but it's a trap. The Germans are like have like retreated yeah. on purpose. They did a strategic retreat. Yeah, and they're all basically all set up and ready to just mow the British down if they try to run across this huge field. Yeah. Um, from like we were talking about earlier about World War One. I. I mean, it was all about like basically moving from one one um, trench to the next yeah. trench. And so it was essentially, gonna, who, how many can we kill? At once? Yeah. So the, they were coming out of their trench, trying to go to the Germans' trench, and it was a trap. Yeah, it's a trap. <laughs> um, and so uh, their job was to get there and tell them uh, before they went and yeah. charged across the field. Which that's just even kind of crazy. Again, like the fact that like they didn't have like radios yeah. or you know, I mean, they, they you know, it's like that's where this like weird transition of World War, what we think of in war of World War Two. It's like you had some of that, but not all of it. Yeah, you know, you had some stuff, but you you know, you still had to have like carriers to take messages. Yeah. You know? Um, so anyways, uh, so they go on this whole huge journey. At one point they get knocked out. They wake up there. It's nighttime now. The, obviously the things in the morning. Yeah. So they got to get there. They have even less time because they leave like in the morning when it's daytime. And then now it's nighttime. Yeah. Um, so anyways, he wakes up in this, um, abandoned building. The whole place has been bombed. This whole like city kind of like European little sweet little, hamlet kind of city and um so the shot comes out of this window mm-hmm. he like walks up to the window and like looks out yeah and there's these flares going through the sky oh, beautiful um, so and the music is just amazing is yeah. so, and so it pulls thing. out the window and then it comes back down to him running or yeah. kind of walking and yeah. then he starts running through the city and it's all at nighttime and, and the only light is coming from these flares that are going off so uh old uh deacons uh, they made a miniature of the city, like yeah. you're talking about, and Deacons wired these little lights that would go around, and then they like filmed that to see how the light like was actually reflecting to like figure out where they needed to put light on the actual real set. Then they built the real set, um, and then he rigged lights Jeez. that would go on these big wires, so that way he could control them. <laughs> yeah, um, and then they triggered them based off of like what they figured out they wanted to do with the miniature, then they triggered them. So that way, like when they needed light, a flare was going off and when they didn't need a light, they wouldn't. And he said that they thought about using real flares, but they weren't like controllable enough. Yeah. So they just created a rig where like a light would like actually like kind of like on almost like a roller coaster would like go up like a flare and then come back down and turn off. That That's, that's a great like example of everyone at the peak of their abilities. Yeah. The role of the director is to be the composer of the audience's emotion. And the emotions you're feeling in that scene is terror, is 
like confusion is wonder is like kind of hope a little bit yeah hope still alive yeah i mean but it is this like weird like and then the music is just so epic in that moment and it goes from like this kind of quiet intense scene to this long from that scene all the way really till he leaves that and it gets into the river that whole chunk of time you go from like you go through the whole journey essentially of of Schofield of of his life of the terror that he has when he's first entering into war you can imagine to that little moment when he's back at home with his family to him going back to the mission of like knowing that he'll die while this how his family's begging him to stay um it obviously isn't his family it's a french woman but it's the symbolism there. Yeah. To all the way to like him killing someone to him escaping. Um, and then he's, he, so at the beginning of that scene, he has his backpack, he has his gun, he has everything. And then at the end of that scene, he has nothing. All within the city, all within this, like the, the second act essentially. Yeah. Of the movie. And it's just, I mean, that, right there could have been a short film that could have won an Oscar. Yeah. You know, like it, yeah. it's just like the masterfulness of storytelling, of visual storytelling, of suspense, of music, of everyone coming together. If you want an example, that is that example uh, from beginning of the end, um, let alone the whole movie altogether. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's just what it comes down to 1917 is I think what just gets lost is just the sheer magnum opus of everyone's ability here of like, that should not be lost of like, at the end of the day, we can look at movies of different directors of some, you know, it was a fun movie. Sometimes it was exhausting, like the Revenant that was exhausting. That was an experience of like, Oh, they really did it. Great job. Everyone yeah. um, to this movie where you just like, a plot if you want to know why movies get standing ovations sometimes it's the it's the story this is one of the few movies where it's the story it's the music it's the it's the sheer feat of it all yeah this is the cinematography yeah the it's, production design it's everything i mean i i've told you before but i mean to me the thing that like really stood out to me in the movie just from even working with actors and the little bit that i have um was the extras mm mm-hmm. And the fact that like, you know, and and most of the time your extras are in the background and you don't ever see them. And it's even what they're called background extras. Like that's their title, you know? And, um, if they're acting weird or dumb or not really doing what they're supposed to, it doesn't matter because they're not really, nobody's paying attention to them. They're just like human props basically. But because we're following the characters, like you're walking right past all the extras in the trenches. And so you see guys shaving or you see guys talking or you see a guy making some tea or smoking. Yeah. Yeah. Smoking cigarettes or whatever. Um, you know, and it's like, you see all these guys interacting or playing cards and it's like, so you, you see them very up close. Yeah. And none of them throughout the entire movie didn't seem like legit. Yeah. Like they like nailed yeah. their role of being random guy shaving you know, or random. And even the costumes always look good. Again, it's like a lot of times you kind of like, they'll kind of, um, take some cheats on some of the background 
characters' costumes and other because again, yeah. you don't see them; they're out of the way. Um, and so I was just blown away by the level of like, I mean, and there are a lot yeah. of extras in this movie because there's it's a war movie. Yeah. Well, and you may, I mean, there's probably a thousand extras yeah. in that movie. Oh my gosh, hundreds at least. Um, you may say now, Ryan, like I background extras, who cares? Trust us. Background actors can overact, yeah. <laughs> and they often do because that's one thing you hear a lot. Or they underact. I or mean, they underact. There's exactly. a reason why they're background yeah. actors because they're not very good yet. If you want to see a good example, go watch Gilmore Girls. Go watch the background actors for any episode of Gilmore Girls. They are the most insane background actors I think I've ever seen. I've literally seen one where they were uh, <laughs> they were supposed to be eating and they. They were just taking the fork out to the mouth and they were going chomp and then back down. Like they went, and it was like clearly in the scene. And, you know, like little things like mustard, like here's the mustard thing, you know, and they're like, uh huh, no, you know, like, or, or two actors talking at the same time, but obviously they're just mouthing because yeah. everything you see in the scene, no one's making noise. Right. Uh, dancing scene, there's no music, there's nothing. Everyone's just in the room going, <laughs> you know, just dancing a little bit in complete silence. It's very awkward. Think about that next time. So when we say these background actors are bringing us into that world, that is high praise for the background actors. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, it's hard because you don't know. You're not getting any feedback really yeah. from anyone. Yeah. People don't care about what yeah. they're doing. If anything, I someone mean, they says. might have in this movie a little bit more because they right. see them. But um, yeah, it just, it blew my mind. I was like, and, and I was like, really aware because i knew yeah. going into the movie that it was a one movie yeah uh, one or take kind of movie and so i was constantly like trying to get you, you know, yeah. like get them you know like ha ah, i found somebody who did a bad job you yeah know? uh and i couldn't find an extra anywhere yeah because you like, did a bad job like, yeah they all like nailed it yeah because like, like saving private ryan you know like you, there's some moments where like yeah. you see someone you're like eh, yeah and they straight up cut to those people <laughs> you know like they yeah. chose to show yeah. them well, uh, and, and that's, as anyone knows, like, it's, that's one thing as a director is you have to be aware of everyone, and that's really, really hard to, and Spielberg usually is a master of the depth of yeah. the, you know, hundreds of people and all yeah. that stuff. I think Sam Mendes has just shown himself as up there in that yeah. category. Yeah, I mean, Skyfall was great. Yeah. Uh, but it's also like, well, it's James Bond, and okay, you did a good job with the James Bond movie, and now that that, like, Still doesn't deserve a lot, but it also like when you have a franchise that people already love, it sort of feels like if you knock it out of the park, you sort of already were like, you already had a, a almost like you were kind of had an advantage a little right. bit, you know, it's like, but this is a brand new original story yeah. to knock it out of the park like this when it's not like people knew anything about this movie or had any connection with it. It's even the less romantic war yeah. like we're talking about. I feel like he definitely established himself as like one of the masters yeah. directors that exist in our world today yeah. because of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I know like Bond, like essentially almost killed Sam Mendes in the sense it was so stressful. Like if you look at his weight fluctuation, that's a good, good indicator of a director is very stressed out when they gain a considerable amount of weight. I mean, he used to be like when he did just doing Skyfall, the specter, like the difference in weight from that is insane. Um, Skyfall is a is is a complete story. You could tell he probably had more time with it. Uh, it really is a Roger Deakin flex. Um, yeah. One of his most beautiful movies he's ever done. Um, 
And then Spectre, you see the difference of the success of Skyfall and him not necessarily wanting to do that. Um, a la Batman, you know, yeah. with the Dark Knight Rises. Um, I, I need to go back and rewatch it, but obviously a Dark Knight is more of a masterful film because he had more time to make that Christopher Nolan did than Dark Knight Rises, uh, the, the, the third installment. So... I think giving a director his time to really, that's a good kind of advice for all of us who want to make stuff. Um, I mean, that was one of the advice you got for running a full suite of documentary is like, take your time editing it, you know, like when it's done, it's done, but like really put effort. And with 1917, I think that's one of the reasons why Sam Mendes did the second Bond movies. He, they were probably like, we'll let you do whatever you want. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> if you make this one because Jane Skyfall made billions of dollars. Yeah. Um, so when he has complete control, there are a few directors that I think when you just give them their complete creative vision, it sometimes is bad. Um, or, uh, uh, you know, sometimes it's good for yeah. some directors. Uh, I think Quentin Tarantino, when he has complete control, is usually good. Um, Nolan... I don't know, to an extent, maybe. Uh, I don't know. But um, Sam Mendes, yeah, he's definitely, he's, he's, he's added himself, if anything. Um, it was good to see a movie that you could, like, add to the classics. I think it, 1917 uh, is, is up there with Godfather. I really think so. Because it's not just, once again, it's not just a visual masterpiece it is a storytelling masterpiece you know i think there if you are going to have a movie that lives with the big dogs i mean there's a reason why you can go back and watch citizen kane and that's kind of the joke right like everyone says you know like says i prefer master movies like citizen kane well citizen kane is a master film like you go back and watch it there are stuff that he's doing in that movie that directors now are doing which I feel like 1917, there will be things that is now like the template for like single take shot movies. Yeah. Like that they need to understand how important the story and engagement and the pacing is in those movies. It's not about the spectacle. It's not about the technical side of things as much as they did do those things. Um, the scene at the end when he is running towards the camera, you know, even the use of special effects yeah. is amazing. Like that was the thing they talked about. It's like, it's not necessarily like the explosion cause those were actually real. It's the fact that they took out the tire, you know, in the grass uh, and how hard that would have been, you know, yeah. for that shot. But if you don't have that, you, you go back and watch old movies where they did stuff like that. you see tire tracks, yeah, you yeah. know, you see those things yeah. and it takes you out of it. But they just created that moment where you're feeling the actor, you're feeling yeah. the moment, the urgency of it all, the music pacing. I don't I just Yeah. I it's, it's Yeah, I remember walking out of the theater, me and Helen went and watched it, and I remember being like, Man, I feel tired because yeah. I, I felt like I'd actually gone with him on the journey. And I think that's also like part of it. Like I think going back to like when we're talking about like a movie yeah. you know or cinema in scorsese's words you know like i think some of it is like um there's a difference between like a story that's just entertaining 
yeah. and you're just watching it. And then there's stories that you go on the journey with the people. Yeah. Um, you know, and like I was mentioning, like good books, like, like with Harry Potter, you know, you feel like you're there with mm-hmm. them at Hogwarts. You feel like you're there with Harry when he's fighting. Um, I know. mean, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Lord of the Rings, you know, like a lot of these like things that we consider kind of like classics or masterpieces. It's like, you feel like you're really there. Yeah. Um, and so it's like when the journey that they did is the journey that you did. Um, and then there's other ones that you just watch and you're just entertained by it. Yeah. And I think that's part of what, you know, like makes the difference between a movie that's, you know, a movie like War Horse. Yeah. That's about World War One. I. I never felt like I was in that story <laughs> versus like, I felt like I was with that guy every single moment. And yeah. when he's running scared for his life, like I'm feeling like I'm running and scared for my life with him, you know? And when he jumps in the water and it's obviously cold and he's worrying about drowning, I feel, you know, it's like, and I think that's what, when a story like, crosses over to that level i think yeah. that's when it becomes a masterpiece yeah yeah his his movement his body language was so well done yeah because like and he again, had the heavy footing take i mean that's still what blows my mind you know like i know you're like yeah. the technical side isn't what people should look at but to me i'm like i think the the technical side is what makes the story yeah so yeah. impressive to me because it's like it's hard enough to do that when you can edit yeah and when you can cut and when you can say hey you know let's get a close-up on his feet let's do this let's do that and then the editor paints this beautiful picture in the end it's like they had to do all that for real they had to to get there was no fix it in post yeah like they had to get it right they had to get it they had to nail it yeah and 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 it was a very physical movie like he's always running or being shot at or running through mud i mean just that and and i was like i wonder how many bruises he had all over his body because, I mean, that hit when he's running on the trenches and soldiers are, you know, he gets hit like twice and they're real big hits. Yeah. You know, like I think. And he had to get back up. He had to get running. back. Yeah. He I rolls. mean, or like we talked about when they go through the no man's land, um, like the Germans have retreated, but nobody believes that they have. And so nobody wants to go up there because basically if you go up above the trench, you get shot at immediately. So they're going across no man's land. And there, it's all muddy and wet and gross, and they're slipping and falling. And you can, and I've walked through enough mud, as I'm sure you have too, to where like your feet eventually get heavy because it just has this like kicking yeah. of mud on the bottom yeah. of your shoe. And then like every step you take, it's just like you feel like you're like walking through like quicksand. Um, well, you could tell that that they were really slipping, really falling, that they were really getting tired, that they really were dealing with heaviness from their shoes full of mud. Uh, and but that all happened because it was a single take, and so yeah. I do think, in some ways, the single take also kind of helped make it more real, because you couldn't say cut. All yeah. right, now let's reset. Let's move the lights. The yeah. actor gets to sit in their trailer for an hour. It's like, oh no, you got to run through this entire fifteen-minute scene, yeah, all in one take, and now you got to do it again, yeah. and again, and again, and again. Well, and and that just speaks to the incredible feet of the crew to nail those shots the the focus has to be on point yeah. the uh the camera going from a steady cam to a crane shot has yeah. to be flawless people don't understand how hard that how is. hard that is it because is really, the actors really are slipping that means everyone else is slipping yeah. you have to be on point 
and every and single the lighting has to look good. I know that. Um, once again, watching the behind the scenes, you you gotta watch these since yeah. it's coronavirus and we're all just sitting at home. You gotta watch uh, the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, COVID nineteen. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um. The uh. They were talking about um the fact that when they wanted to film some of the shots, I don't remember which ones, but a big portion of the movie, like a big scene in the movie, um, it was cloudy. And so they had to wait until the sun would come out from the clouds. It was one of those like spotty cloud days yeah. that I hate filming in. Um, I mean, overcast is really bad too. So I guess I'd rather have spotty clouds. But they basically would just be like sitting and then they'd be like, oh, the sun's coming out. And so then they would try to do the scene <laughs> as fast as they could. And yeah. then they'd be like, oh, we got to wait now. Yep. And then the sun would come out again because they, they, most of the lighting they didn't really do because where are you going to put lights where they're not going to see it? You that's, know? that's single reasons why George Lucas went to all green screen. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously really annoying. Um, so anyways, it was just, uh, it's, it's fascinating to see what they did. Um, so, uh, I think going into the Oscars, I was like 1917 should win. Yeah. I mean, I'd seen some of the other movies. You have not seen Parasite. I have not seen Parasite. I have seen Parasite. So I went in, I went into the Oscars. Um, I didn't think Parasite was going to win just because it was like the random foreign film. But nowadays the random foreign film is the cool one. So I should have known better, but, um, well, and they also the the narrative is very yeah it's, timely it's, yeah timely yeah. and the Oscar no matter what like they're gonna go with whatever is timely yeah yeah whatever is culturally fad yeah. at the time, uh but um I remember watching some of the other ones and I was like oh yeah these are pretty good pretty good and then I watched 1917 I was like oh there's no competition yeah. I mean it just like you can't it across every single the story is good yeah like you're saying uh and then everything else about it is just like killer amazing yeah you know and it's like you can't you know and again it's like even like best directing it's like okay cool but like yeah so other people directed a bunch of good takes that were edited together to make the best version but yeah. this guy had to edit one take really mm -hmm. well yeah there was no editing so it's like if you see great acting it's because the director was able to direct all those characters to do yeah. exactly what they needed to in a single take yeah that is really hard. Again, yeah. it's hard to get an actor to do something perfectly. And the, he pulled it off, yeah. you know? And so I was like, the part of like, I was like, just, it was just no comp, no, no other film accomplished what they accomplished in yeah. my opinion. So I was like, oh, 1917 like deserves it no matter what. And I was surprised when it didn't win because of the fact that I kind of felt like, oh, well, this of all movies, Hollywood people will see like, come on guys, we got to give it to them. It's yeah. crazy how good this is with what they were like, what they put kind of the deck that they stacked against them. Um, uh, but you did not see it before the Oscars. So right. now that you've seen it, do you think it won best picture, especially since you did see. Yeah. I've Parasite. seen Parasite. Um, Cause Parasite also won best director. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the stuff that we, I think they should have won for, uh, they didn't other than Deacons did win, uh, best cinematography, which he definitely deserved. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think um, so. I've seen The Irishman, which had probably the biggest early buzz. Yeah, I would say because like I remember uh, critics and everyone being like, "This is this should win." But as you and I both know, the Oscars hate Netflix. Um, Irishman was okay. It's an epic movie. It's a big movie. It's okay. It's very quiet. It's very slow. Joe Joe Pesci is really good in it. Um, Parasite is an interesting movie because it's the the uh, 
the commentary of the ultra rich, the one percent, and the ultra poor, um, with a kind of horror element to it. Um, it definitely is a also a commentary between like North Korea and South Korea, um, and kind of that mindset. Um, the third act, I think, kind of fell apart. My personal opinion. Um, I'm glad that uh, Korea got representation. You know, it made history. First ever Korean film. My Korean friends were over the moon about it. Really, all my Asian friends were losing their minds about it. So kudos to them. Great job. Um, But this kind of goes back to the whiplash kind of narrative. Like, at the end of the day, what is the, like overall better movie because there are elements of parasite that are like masterfully done like it is on that level of like this is a master at his work um but not to the extent of landing it you know uh, from beginning to end like with whiplash that movie from beginning to end was a masterful done masterfully done yeah it's a perfect movie it's perfect movie and it lost to um uh birdman which was the single take film and I watched that movie, and it's nowhere near as good as 1917. Yeah. Like, Birdman is a weird movie that has a commentary of an actor who is an action star. Yeah. You know, kind of doesn't want to do that, but is having a mental break. Did not like it. Yeah. It had, yeah, I started watching and never even finished it. Going back to that pacing thing. Yeah. Like, its pacing was horrible. Ah, uh, so slow. Yeah. And... I, the, the Academy really loves that director. I mean, he did The Revenant, and yeah. Revenant was... I did not like that movie at all because it reminded me of Beyond the Trail, you know? Uh, and so, like, I think there's... I don't know if the Oscar is just, like, tired of, like, classic old movies. Maybe they are. Because, like, that's the thing of, like, Whiplash and, like, 1917. Those movies really captured that essence of, like, just... Well, I think with I Whiplash, them. I think the Academy at that time did not feel like they could give an Oscar to a first time young white straight male director. Yeah. Yeah. I think if they had done that, people would have been like, what? Yeah. Oscar's so white. Yeah. And, and even like this random guy who has no experience makes a movie and you give him an Oscar. Um, I mean, in the Oscar, which if you're going to give a straight white man an Oscar, it should be Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> you know, I think he's kind of earned it at this point, but maybe, maybe not. So I feel like um, I feel like that's kind of some of it. I wonder with Sam Mendes, if um, like if Birdman hadn't ever been made and existed, if this had would have won an Oscar. Yeah, because it's like, hey, we already gave the Oscar to the one take movie. Yeah. Do we really need to do that again? I think I think it just goes back to the fact it's a World War One movie and like war movies are kind of done in yeah. Hollywood. You know, like they are It's a tired genre. It's a tired genre and like I mean, Saving Private Ryan was kind of the last of its kind, you know, like they made it and it was like I think set such a high bar that people were like, All right, nothing's ever gonna do it. Yeah. And I, I will say that like um the story of Saving Private Ryan is a little bit more of your classic war movie patriotic story. Yeah. Um, where it also, you know, like like we kind of experience and follow the soldier through 1917 and kind of like see the war through his eyes. Mm-hmm. But all of it has to, is very, it's more like you just have to take it in like a sponge. 
because it's not like he's delivering lines in right. the same way that Tom Hanks is or Private Ryan is yeah. or you know you don't have the guy talking about how he's going to write a book about right. the you know the yeah. bonds of soldiers fighting together you know and so it's like they're very like more on the nose about yeah. like patriotism yeah look at these soldiers and what they did for us um where 1917 was more like we're just going to follow this guy yeah. through a day well and and that's why i really go back to the story so much uh, of like the subtlety of it like that's the beauty of like really anything in life it's not uh not the over exaggeration of war horse is just like a full-blown yeah. pageant girl you know with makeup way too big yeah. and you know it's just like over the top and ridiculous um so you you lose that novelty to just plain ridiculousness but with 1917 it's the subtlety of like uh schofield and um i've already forgot the other guy's name but our two protagonists where um schofield is kind of jaded and talking about his medals you know he's like you're gonna get a medal for this and the other guy's like, you think? Like, I'm excited. You know, his kind of optimism and kind yeah. of going into it. Like, I'm brave and I'm strong. And he's like, well, dude, you have a metal skull feeling? He's like, yeah, I gave it away for some wine. And just the, the juxtaposition of those two characters of that subtle moment. It's just this conversation of two people that you would see anywhere else. But you're seeing where those two people are coming from, the two worlds. And the naivety of, and hopefulness of one character with the like kind of cynicism and like jadedness jadedness of the other character, but the hopefulness of Schofield at the end um, of just like the little comments of like all the cherry trees being, you know, chopped down and, you know, Schofield's like, who would do this? Like, this is so dark. And then the other character is like, oh, well, when the stones have rot, rotted away, the cherry, there'll be millions of cherries, you yeah. know, like kind of just like talking, uh, he was hopeful about, just the good of life afterward. And, and I mean, that's just a really beautiful. Now I will, I will say this, it would be interesting for next, uh, probably not this uh, coming up Oscar, but the one after that, if we'll see more of, we'll go from, I guess um, the, the class warfare is still really, it's more prevalent than ever, especially with seeing with all these stars. Right. And, I mean, the, I saw this graph come out talking about how the rich were able to go into quarantine before the poor were, you know, the poor still can't because the reality is they have to work. Yeah. They can't sit at home. You know, right. you see all these PSA, stay home, stay home, stay home. Well, that's, that's a very, that's coming from a, uh, a rich point of view, uh, whatever yeah. the word is, um, privilege, maybe privilege. Yeah. Privilege point of view. Um, so it'd be interesting to see something like that, or if we'll have more like, like contagion or you know kind of yeah. more virus films we'll, we'll step away from the wars because that was kind of the big thing right we were going to go to war with iran you know right. there's a lot of tensions who knows with china you know there's a lot of stuff happening with that like you know yeah who, they knew about this virus i don't know it'd be interesting to see what the next genre of movies will be of what the commentary will be on that of the hopefulness of all civilization just crumbling and yeah it'll be interesting know. to see uh, if there will be some COVID-19 movies because you know after 9-11 there was 9-11 movies that came out yeah but it was also like a singular big moment that happened within a few hours yeah um that you know thousands of people died uh all you know like in this very and it's just you know buildings crumbling in New York yeah. collapse I mean it's just like you know this like very like oh my god you know where this is like this slow 
disease. Not, I mean, it's quickly spreading. Yeah. But it's not, you know, like we're going to end up having a death toll way above what 9-11 was. Yeah. But it's not going to all happen within a couple hours. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're saying like, I mean, the original and, figures were like 1.5 million. And it's also hard to like personify yeah. the villain yeah. when it's a virus. Yeah. It's not like the virus is yeah, like mean, trying to kill us. It's just doing what nature does. It's just doing what a virus does, you know? So, um, well, here's, here's the different genres. Here's what's going to happen. The comedy one is going to be uh, two friends who want to go on a road trip and they've always wanted to go, but then a pandemic happens and something happens. I don't know. That's going to be the comedy one. The romantic one will be two lovers who are quarantined separated from each other and they're going to sneak or, out or separate or put together and they end up becoming lovers. Exactly. Exactly. The or, one night stand becomes like the, um, yeah. yeah, exactly. The one night stand. Yeah. Uh, that's a little bit on the rom-com side yeah. or, or it's going to be like the marriage story one where it's like, they're going to be quarantined together and end up like, in yeah. Divorce yeah. I mean, that's the thing in China, like divorces rose, like in, in Wu-Tang, uh, where, uh, Wuhan, where, you know, it, Wu-Tang is the, Wu-Tang, the, Wu-Tang the province Wu-Tang. of Wu-Tang, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the original quarantine area yes. of divorces rose considerably. And so like things like that will probably show up. Um, but there'll probably be a commentary on our political leaders, the incompetency of our political yeah, leaders. Yeah, I could see like one of those kind of things. Yeah. Almost like the, um, um, the, um, oh man, what was that movie about the housing crisis that had Steve Carell in it and. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, short term, uh, the Big Short, the Big Short. Yeah, yeah. There might be something like that. Yeah. So I the mean, Big Short was a good movie. Actually, I like that. movie. It's a great movie. And then I've started watching Succession, which Adam, uh, Adam McKay did that as well. Oh, gotcha. And that's that's pretty interesting. So, so would you have um, chosen this as best picture? I would have. Yeah. I mean, just if politics aside, I mean that's the thing is you and I have I have become desensitized to the Oscars. Um, just because I don't think they really care about cinema, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> as we have a whole podcast talking about the snobbery of Scorsese, but in this, I agree with him as far as like movie movies, like what is, I mean, the Oscars are supposed to be the best of the best of the best, right? Like what is the best movie of the year? The best movie of the year is called best picture. Exactly. Was if anything, Sam Mendes should have won Best Director because when you watch that movie, you see his handprint throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Like, really, really, you feel it. Um, more so than I, I would think, like, other movies. But not in the sense of, like, when you watch a Quentin Tarantino movie and you're like, this has Quentin Tarantino all over it. It's in the sense of, like, he is telling a story and you are engrossed in that story. Like, a, like a amazing storyteller. At a tavern of old, you know, or uh, J.R. Tolkien, the way he tells yeah. a story. Like, Sam Mendes told this story amazingly. Whereas Parasite was more of, like, the actors really carried that movie, I think. Um, the story is okay. Um, the the execution, the editing is really well done. Um, but as far as, like what really carried that movie is really the actors and what they brought to the table. Um, obviously the actors only bring what the, is given to them, but they did really well with that. Yeah. So I think, you know, as far as like best ensemble, that goes to parasite, but as far as like story and overall picture 
and directing, I think those should have gone to 1917. Yeah. If purely from a cinema yeah. movie. Yeah, I mean, we know, too. I mean, with thanks to Adam Ruins, everything, you know, uh, I mean, it's yeah. the evidence of how much the Oscars are bought to some yeah. degree. Uh, not to some degree, to a big degree, uh, you know, is very depressing as a like a person who loves movies and cinemas you know you start realizing how much the oscars really have nothing to do yeah. with who really deserves it it's really like who was um renee zellwinger won yeah i mean it was year. like who was who was pushed hard enough who was who spent enough money on publicizing and i mean they send out little treats to people yeah you know to the to the oscar to the academy you yeah. know they'll send them little gift bags i mean they're basically trying to buy their vote yeah um and they'll spend millions of dollars like Netflix did for the Irishman. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, but nonetheless, in our world, in our fiction, in our little fictional world that we want to live in for a second, um, the Oscars being something that is the best of the best, uh, I definitely think. I haven't seen Parasite, but I just don't know how you would make a movie that would compete against 1917 Yeah, um, because of what? it had to accomplish to do what it did. Yeah. You know, I just like, it stands in my mind, like above it stands, it stands in the MVP. It stands in like above, you know, it stands with the gods of other movies because it, um, because of what it was. I mean, it's just like, that would just be so crazy hard to do a good movie like that. It's an intimate epic. And I think that's really hard to do because, like, you have, you know, Lawrence Arabia. I keep going back to Lawrence Arabia. It's not like a classic epic, but let's say, like, Ben Hur. Ben Hur is an epic, but it's not intimate. You know, there's not this setting of, like, you're too, you know, Ben Hur is all about the big, large scale, it's right. the big, you know, epic scenes and stuff like that, the chariot races and all that stuff. But what really makes um I, I would say maybe the godfather is an intimate epic as well because like it is colia michael colia well but the only thing is it journey. tells like multiple people's stories yeah you know, it also is telling sunny's story yeah it's also yeah telling, like, so yeah it's also telling don corleone's story exactly so i think that's the thing with 1917 is like you are focused like it's in the great war but really, it's, it's just about this one. It's guy. about this one guy, I and mean, obviously his mission is really epic because he's trying to save the lives of like thousands of men. Yeah, but his actual journey doesn't yeah. include thousands of men. Well, like, and he's he, like for the most part like only dealing with like a handful of people throughout the whole time. Yeah, and he doesn't get the epic, you know, I am Spartacus yeah. moment. You know, he he, it's very quiet. Yeah, and I think, and but it's hopeful. And well, and so, like you said too, it's like he. He basically ends up having to be stripped of any power that he sort of starts the movie with. Yeah. To where at the end he's just like this broken guy. Yeah. But he's done what he needed to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, it definitely was a beautiful story, beautiful movie. Um, we definitely suggest all of you guys, we recommend it to you. We yeah. suggest you watch it. Um, if you haven't seen it, watch it on a bigger screen if you have the ability to. Um, definitely watch it with some good sound. Yeah. Turn the lights off. Yeah. Enjoy the movie because it's a big, it's one of those kind of movies that the visuals are great. Um, you Did you rent it or did you buy it? I rented it. So I, I, Ali asked her, she was like, we should buy that movie. So it's out for rent. Yeah. Um, or you can download. I would definitely say if you can rent the 4K 
Blu-ray version, whatever, yeah. you know, get it. I guess 4K Blu-ray is technically 1080. Yeah, so on the Microsoft Store, you can only get uh, Ultra HD, okay. which is 3K. Gotcha. So. Well, do it. Spend the extra couple bucks. Um, uh, I feel like it's there's not really anything, like, super bad about it, like, as far as, like, no. younger people being able to watch it. I mean, it's probably, like, younger, I mean, younger it's, kids. It's graphic bored. as far as, like, violence and stuff. I but mean, even the, as, like, the scene war- where he has the barbed wire and then he puts his hand in the body. Yeah, I like, mean, it's more like, yeah, like, gross dead yeah. bodies. But there's not really a lot of, like, heads being blown off or anything no. like that, you know. I mean, they say the F word a couple times. But. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, like, if you have, like, high schoolers or whatever, you could totally watch it. Yeah. Um, so even middle schoolers to some degree. Uh, so I mean, it, that's another thing that's a movie. Like, you can write a thesis about it. There are not a lot of movies that you can write a thesis about it. You know, like, you could... You, Technically, you do one about Parasite as well, but there's just like from like a film school, like this movie should be in film schools, I really think, because it it has every lesson that you'd want from a movie. It has lighting, it has blocking, it has cinematography, you know, like it has acting, how, yeah, how you act. Yeah, I mean, it's just every element yeah. goes into this movie. Yeah, so. which is why, again, it deserves best picture, in my opinion, yeah. and best director, because... Obviously, the director has to get the performances that he wants, but I also think the best director should be given to people who lead their army of filmmakers well yeah. um, and execute the movie. At the end of the day, like the director, unless it's like some movie where, like a Kevin Feige movie, where the producer's really involved, it's like obviously Sam Mendes was the guy where the buck stopped. Yeah. And so it's like if the buck stops with you as the director and you make a great movie, and you know, it's like then like the accomplishments of your entire team reflect back on you. Yeah. And so the fact that it was a technically great movie is just as much his, um, like uh, his success. Yeah. As it was Deacons yeah. or the production designer or the makeup artist or all those background extras. You know, it's like because he was the one that was overseeing all that. So yeah. Again, the guy deserved an Oscar. Yeah. For sure. At least him, but definitely. Best picture as well, in my opinion. Um, at least Deacons did get it, even after winning Blade Runner, yeah. um, which I didn't really like actually that much. Blade Runner definitely was for like yeah, you've done else. a lot of great movies. Yeah. Let's give you one. Yeah, uh, and and that happened. That's another thing with the Oscars is that oftentimes, I mean, that's Damien Chazelle. The reason he won for La La Land, best director for La La Land, was Whiplash. Yeah, um, and so like there's there are directors that kind of get there or you know actors or right right well and even like the revenant like was not uh uh leonardo dicaprio's like best movie in my opinion but it was like we gotta give them something yeah yeah and that's the thing if 1917 had come out in any other year i think it would have won the oscar last year for sure yeah for sure i mean definitely it was better than green book (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it would have been a movie that people would have been happy with you know i think it's just because green book was such a debacle uh they kind of had to give it to um yeah, uh, well, and I think I think again the cultural like the Oscars are definitely a group. The Academy is definitely a group of people who are very tied into whatever is like culturally relevant. Yeah, um, and especially whatever kind of like the social justice cause is of the time. Yeah, um, and 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 once again, 
when I watch Parasite, the first two acts are really masterfully done. Like it really is. You should absolutely watch it. Like for imagery. You're saying you liked the movie. I like. Well, no. <laughs> that's the problem. Is that third act? It really yeah. falls apart for me. Um, and so that's where, like, if I'm purely objectively, you know, and so that's why I'm not saying like, you know, the social justice or anything. Like it definitely deserved an Oscar to an extent, but when you have a movie like 1917, it's just a far superior yeah it just it just is i'm sorry like you look at everything about the two movies um i mean I, that's my personal so it deserves opinion. the nomination but not the win parasite yeah 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 well todd it was a pleasure talking with you i'm glad you got to watch it i yeah. enjoyed it as well a lot and i hope all of you go and watch it uh you have no reason not to to be Fine. honest yeah so go do it do it uh, and thank you again to Kyle for creating us a little fan page. And we hope that we get lots of questions yes. from all over the world. Go on there, give it a like, leave us a question. Maybe we'll answer it on an upcoming episode. So yes. Until till, till next week. Bye-bye. This has been a Studio Red production. For more, go to studioredmedia.com.